a thank you letter. That's what this letter was. It was a thank you letter. And um, it's his uh, most positive letter that Paul has written. He didn't write this letter to the Philippians to uh, fix a problem in the church or to address an area that was of concern. He wrote this letter as a thank you note because they ministered to him by sending Epaphroditus and not just sending Epaphroditus to encourage him, but they also sent money and supplies. They supported him while he was in prison. And so uh, don't let my voice scare you or think that this isn't a positive thing. It really is. And uh, it's, it, it's so incredible how he wrote such depth when we realize that at the time of his writing, he's in, he's in jail. And his circumstances aren't too good. But before we get on into that, um, I just would like to ask you, help me out here. I'm going to ask for participation. Um, when you hear the word happiness, what do you think of? It can either be for yourself or you could think of it for somebody else. But when you think of the word happiness, um, what comes to your mind? Worry-free. Thank you, Tabby. Somebody else. Pardon me? Gratification. Contentment. Joy. An awesome companion. That's right, brother. <laughs> Steve, you're getting some brownie points today, man. I like that. Good job. Okay. Well, you guys are, are hitting some, some really good things. Um, I'm not as deep as you. Okay? Um, uh, I'll just share with you when I think of, of happiness or being happy, um, uh, I, I think of, uh, of a movie, right? Why do they call them feel-good movies? You know, because if I go to a certain kind of movie, I want to feel happy about it. I want a happy ending, right? And, and so I, I'm not talking about the, the typical kind of destructive battle movies that, that I, I enjoy as a man, but uh, I also like um, some of those romantic comedies that are so stupid and so corny, but, you know, oh, man, I'm so, that's a happy ending. Or I'm a sucker for some of those movies that just drag on your emotions, even if it's animals. Oh, they came back and they made their way home. And, oh, gosh. And, and it's, pretty, um, it's pretty hilarious. The family knows that, that I leak quite a bit. And so, you know, they can come walking on in and they're just going, Dad, really, again? And it's like, I'm just crying. I'm just like, be quiet. This is so good. Right? Um, I have a happy feeling. Um, when I experience movies like that. Um, watching a sunset with Shirley. 
Um, I, I, I enjoy that. Or when I've been up on the hills behind our house with any of my kids or, or friends and just seeing the sun go down at that time, it's like, man, that is cool. Just gives me this sense of happiness. Um, a Rams Super Bowl victory next week. I'll be happy. Okay, I'll be happy. And if it doesn't happen, um, uh, Patriot fans will be happy again. A Dodgers World Series victory. I would be very happy. And it would be, yay. And uh, so those circumstances. How about something new? And you can pick whatever new is to you. You know, I think of toys, right? Um, for some people, it might be a new car. For some people, it might be like a new game. For others, it might be new clothes because you threw out those old ones last week, right? By the way, no, I didn't throw those clothes out. That was only an object lesson, people, all right? But, um, or a, a new bike or, or a new phone or, you know, just think about what it is that when you get something new, it's like, oh, man, this is so cool, right? And you get this really happy smile. Um, how, how about, um, well, for me, it would be making a great golf shot that I planned. Not one that happened by accident. You know, where I hit the tree and it bounced off the cart and it hit the cart path and then it happened to jump up on there and then boom, I'm, I'm you know, two feet away. I have to be closer than two feet away, otherwise I won't make that putt. But that, that, those are things that make me happy. And, and at the same time, if I happen to be on fire, for me on fire is meaning I'm shooting bogey golf, uh, that make me happy, right? Because that doesn't happen very often. Um, something else, how about an unexpected gift? Does that make you happy? When all of a sudden you get an unexpected gift, you're like, Thank you so much. That's so cool. And to top it off, when it's something that you really like. <laughs> right? Now, I know for other people, uh, what makes them happy is a good meal. Yeah? Oh. So, I mean, if you've, if you've ever been to the Montefiore's house, when they do barbecue, oh. Okay? I, I'm blessed because... Uh, my son-in-law, man, uh, I, I may have the smoker and I may have the grill, but I'm like, Jonathan, would you do this? And how would you do this? And, and when he takes over, it's like, oh, you know, it makes me happy. It, it tastes good. But um, happiness pretty much depends on our circumstances, right? At least those, those things that I shared in my shallowness, you guys had, had more depth, but what happens when the movies are over or the sun sets or the game's finished or, or that new toy gets old or a loved one passes or our money is gone? Most of the time, happiness is gone. And uh, depression and despair take its place. In contrast to happiness stands joy. And um, joy is something that's described as running deeper and stronger. 
Joy is the quiet, confident assurance of God's love and his work in our lives. I'm going to repeat that because you know what? I did not make any slides this week. That was one of the things that just had to, I had to let go of. So on certain things, I'm going to try to repeat them, whether you think they're worthy or not. But joy it, it is the quiet, confident assurance of God's love and work in our lives. It's that he will be there no matter what. Happiness depends on happenings, but joy depends on Christ. So I'd like to take a look today at, at the scriptures in this book that talk about joy. Talk about something that is, is much deeper than um, the temporary things that bring happiness. So we're going to be in the book of Philippians all around. So if you wouldn't mind turning there in your Bible, um, I'm going to be trying to hit and talk about some things. There's 16 different times the word joy or, or the other word rejoice is used in this book. Now there's a couple other times where a different word but similar translation, glad, is used in there. But but the 16 times in which the word joy or rejoice is used, and I want us to look at it, and it's in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, so we're going to be going. And I want you to see um, the things that Paul um, uh, does or uh, commends as deserving joy and the reason behind it. So right off the bat in chapter 4, if you look at, at or chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 4. Paul says, in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So Paul starts off, he prays with joy. Why? Look at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul has joy in this church. He started this church. He planted this church. You can read about it back in Acts chapter 16. He's visited this church, but he hasn't been able to now because he's in prison. And, and yet he still has joy. Why? Because they've partnered with him. Not just because they've sent Epaphroditus. Not just because they've sent financial support or other uh, sustainable support. But because they've partnered with them, because they have continued on the work of the gospel. They have shared it, continually reaching out to those who live in their city. And, and because of that, Paul's first mention, he prays with joy because of that. He doesn't see it as a temporary circumstance. It's something that they have proven over the course of time. 
depending on when you want to believe that Paul's first missionary journey to Philippi, if it was in 51 or 53, and now at the time of this writing, depending on if you believe it's in 61 or possibly as late as 63, there's anywhere between an eight-year gap. And they've been continuing this partnership. And so Paul commends them, and he just, man, I, I, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. That doesn't change. Go on down to verse 18 of chapter 1. And in verse 18, we can see uh, that Paul rejoices that Christ is proclaimed. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He says, it doesn't matter what the motives are. And if we read just a few verses earlier, he says, it is true in verse 15 that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former, in verse 17, preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. They're supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So Paul's recognizing and telling them, hey, listen, there's some good folks who are preaching the gospel, and there are some people with absolutely the wrong motives. They have the wrong heart. I, I don't want to mention names today, but I hope you have a discerning spirit when you can hear people preaching a false gospel for the wrong reasons. Paul doesn't preach a gospel that is going to get him a lot of money. Paul doesn't preach a gospel where he encourages others, if you follow Jesus, he's going to guarantee and promise you that you're going to have all your wants. But notice here, Paul still rejoices even though these people are proclaiming Christ with false motives. I mean, check that out. In verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Christ is preached. Now, I got to tell you, um, I, there's a part of me that struggles with that. Because I, as a minister of the gospel, I don't want to be equated or put in the same uh, category as, as others who are preaching Christ with false motives. Others who are preaching Christ that I'm like, man, that, that doesn't seem like, like the servant that I know. That doesn't seem like the, the man whose humility you can't help but notice. 
Jesus wasn't somebody who was, look at, I, I want to get all these things. If he did, he would have, he would have given into the temptation to Satan. When he said, hey, if you just bow down, all of this is yours. But see, that's, that's not the Jesus that we, we teach. That's not the Jesus that we follow. But Paul helps show me what does it matter. Whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because Christ is preached, I rejoice. Now don't confuse, he doesn't rejoice with false teaching. He's not rejoicing. He's rejoicing the fact that Christ is being known. He continues to rejoice. Uh, look right after this, and because of this I rejoice. The very next sentence, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Okay, you will. Why? For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So what's the reason for this further rejoicing? It's because of the prayers of the believers at the church of Philippi. He doesn't take that for granted. He rejoices over that. And can I tell you, um, I, I get what he's saying. Because I have been so blessed by this body of believers who have encouraged me with their prayers. I, I get to get a taste of, of what Paul's talking about. And I have to tell you, um, that's not just lip service. I believe God's doing something really special in this church. And it's not because of any one person. It's because of the entire body. And anything that I'm able to do, I know I'm able to do through the power of Jesus Christ. And that power is, 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 comes to me through the prayers of his saints. So please, if you're praying for me, please continue. I mean, I, I need it. I desire that. Praying for the elders. We need that. We can't do these kind of things in our own strength. And so when he talks about that, and the reason that he can rejoice further is because of their prayers, I'm like, man, yes. So thank you. Thank you for your prayers. And for your prayers for the future pastor who's going to come. Who's going to be able to open up God's word. Who's going to be able to bring vision. Who's going to be able to partner. So please continue that. And he's also rejoicing because he says, for the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
How often do we forget to thank the Holy Spirit for helping us through different circumstances or, or different things that we're going through? And he's also rejoicing. Notice this, because what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Things will turn out good. Now, we think things will turn out good. Yeah, if he was released from prison. Did you, I love the video, and, and, and you have that right there in, in, in your roadmap. I, I love that little, that little you know, kind of like, eh, right? Hey, this ain't so bad. Execution, we look at execution like, oh, no, that's the worst thing that happens. He's looking at, are you kidding me? To die is gain. I get to be with Jesus. But if, but if he, I live, okay, then that just means he's got more for me to do. That just means I get to help others. That just means I get to be involved in, in planting other churches or in discipling other people. It's like either way, it's a win. So when he's giving more of his, uh, of his you know, uh, rejoicing, hey, things are going to turn out good. So for us, let's be reminded, death is not like, oh, no. Does it bring sadness and sorrow because of that relationship that we will no longer have here on earth? Yes. I've shared with you, I've experienced that plenty of times with my own father, with a loss of a baby, Annalisa, with other family members and close friends. But guess what? Those that know Jesus, man, I'm so excited. I tell them, hey, just save a spot for me. Can't wait. Can't wait. Drop down to verse 25. Paul continues, and, and he just says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So Paul's convinced that he's going to continue remaining on earth, at least for a while, because he's thinking he's going to be released from prison. And, and the reason for that is, is for the Philippians' joy in their faith, because that will be an encouragement to them. And with the hope that he really had intentions that he was going to see them again. And so it was like, okay, yeah, that'll increase their faith. That'll bring encouragement to them. In verse 26, Paul, by being with the Philippians again, it says this, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So now, the reason why this joy here, it's not so much his, but it says, so that my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow. That's kind of cool. Let's look at chapter two. 
verse 2. Well, I'll read verse 1, but I'm focused on verse 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then he says in verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. So Paul is just asking, he he asks the Philippians to complete his joy. He's already joyful about them, thankful for them, but now he's saying, you know what, would you complete my joy? And and this is this is how it'll look. If you would just be like minded, be unified, be focused on Christ and not on yourselves. And and he goes on, he says, having the same love. What's the same love? The love of Christ. Having that, that is what unifies you, because he goes on and said, being one, that's unity in spirit and purpose. Man, I mean, it, isn't that the goal, I think, I hope, of every church? To be unified. To be together. Not because we have similar interests or likes or things like that, but because of Christ. Because of what He's done. He's what unifies us. And that's what Paul is stating here. Now, I'm going to skip uh, um, f- 5 through 11 for right now, but I want to skip you on down to 17 and 18 of chapter 2. And he says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice, and, and a drink offering, you would take wine and you would just pour it out. Good wine, not your bad wine. Just like when you would do an offering, if it was an animal, it would be an unblemished one, right? Not like your worst one. Oh, nobody wants this one, so. Hey, God, here you go. I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, look at me. Aren't I sacrificing to you so wonderfully? Don't you notice how much I'm giving up for you? No, it was always the best. So on drink offerings, they would pour that on the altar as well. Now, I, I haven't been involved in the world of, of uh, fine wines, but I, I know some of you have, and so I would just say, think about one of the most expensive bottles of wine you can think of. Not two buck chuck, okay? Not two buck chuck. And, and, and giving that. And so Paul says, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And you go, wow, okay. Why? I believe it's it's because he had helped the Philippians live for Christ. He had helped them to live for Christ. 
says earlier in, in, in the passages in verse 14. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Oh, what a picture. On Christmas Eve, we did Advent and we had candles. And just in our little worship center here, we had about 230, 240 people with candles. The lights came down and it was like, man, that was powerful. But that's nothing compared to this in which you shine like stars in the universe. I love being outside on a clear night and you just see the stars. You go, wow. Millions of miles away. Or I should say thousands of miles away. Some of those planets shine like stars. They're millions of miles away. And you just go, wow. It says, as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. That was another reason why he, he rejoiced, why he was so glad. In verse 28 of chapter 2, he goes on and he says, Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, he's talking about Epaphroditus, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Yeah, even Paul struggled with anxiety. I know I've struggled with anxiety many a times. People in my family have struggled with anxiety. It's more on the rarer side where people don't struggle with anxiety. Right? We, so many of us seem to have gone through that and, and suffered with it. But, but why does Paul write this and why does he send Epaphroditus? So that the Philippians might rejoice. So that the Philippians would know that they're getting a good report, that they're getting their brother back who had been sick, who almost died. And now they get to him, oh man, this is so awesome that God healed you. God didn't have to heal him. We pray and ask for healing. But that doesn't mean that God's going to answer our prayers in that way, bringing healing. But in this case, God did. And so he could go back and, and the, the, the whole church was excited. But not only did the church benefit, but Paul benefited because it says, and I may have less anxiety. Verse 29, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Why? Why does Paul write that? Because of his work. Because of his work, Epaphroditus' work in the gospel. It says in verse 30, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Meaning, you couldn't be there physically. You sent a gift. And in chapter 4, he thanks them again for that. But 
you know, there's times we don't need gifts, right? We just need somebody to be with there when we're going through some really hard times. And I've known so many of you who have been there for others while they've been going through some really hard times. That's worth so much more than any other kind of gifts. We call it the ministry of presence. You are there. You don't even have to say anything. Just your presence there communicates the love of Christ. And, and I believe that's, that's one of the things he's referring to there. Uh, another thing, let's look at the very next verse in, in chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, again, he's writing from prison. He's gone through all kinds of persecutions. And yet he continues to keep coming back and encourage them. Rejoice in the Lord. I really don't know why he mentions that. Because in the context before and after, you really can't kind of, it's just kind of one of those things. You know what, if I haven't said it lately, rejoice in the Lord. It's an exhortation. And, and then you can look and he talks about all the different things uh, about that he has no confidence in the flesh and, and, and how he's pressing on toward the goal. And then we get to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, my dear friends. He's encouraging them. That's why he writes that. He says, you are my joy. And, and let's equate that. You're my crown. If I were to have a crown, you're it. That's how special you are to me. That's how dear you are to me because of our partnership in making Christ known. Drop down to verse 4. So many of you are familiar with this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. I'm so glad I have a voice to be able to make that loud and clear. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Says it twice. Emphasis. And then in, in verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. They didn't have that opportunity to send the gifts to, to Paul in prison. We don't know why. We don't know if it was on their fault or because uh, his fault. But he just writes that, that, okay, because you had no opportunity. He wasn't blaming them. And, and when he looks at that, you just go, wow. They were so concerned for him that they provided for him. And if you know anything about uh, being in prison uh, in those days, uh, you know, you had to pay for it. Or somebody had to pay for it. Somebody had to provide it. 
It wasn't free meals three times a day with cable TV, exercise equipment. I should stop there. Okay, well, what can we learn from Paul? Um, you know what? Uh, the key thing that just kept coming out and coming out to me is that circumstances don't dictate our joy. Circumstances do not dictate our joy. If we look back in chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Him being in prison has advanced the gospel, not deterred it. His present circumstances of being in prison did not mess up God's plans at all. In fact, they were one of the catalyst, a catalyst that helped advance the gospel. Paul was in prison most likely in Rome, and instead of being frustrated or upset at his circumstances, and I've got to tell you something. I mean, you know, when you talk about different fears that, that people may have, for me, one of my fears is that I'd go to prison. Maybe it's because one of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. And you watch that and you're like, what? You watch any other movies like that and you go, oh, man. Please, God. Protect me from being stupid, from ever doing anything that would cause me to go to prison. Or please protect me from any uh, poor judgment that circumstances might say, oh, yeah, you got to go to prison. But guess what? And I say this honestly, even though I'm, I, I admitted my fear. If God chooses to do something like that to advance the gospel, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I may not like it, but I'm in. At least I hope so or whatever other circumstances is, is going on. How about, let's look just right there in, in Philippians chapter 10, and, and, or Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, focus in on, on 11, particularly the last half of 11 through 13. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever circumstances, someone used that word content. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance or situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then I can do all things through him who gives me strength. One of the most misused scripture passages in our Bible. What's the secret of Paul's contentment? He says it's drawing on Christ's power for strength. That's a secret. Jesus doesn't give us all our wants, but he, he, he does give us our needs. 
whether we agree with what he has determined are our needs or not. Are we content with that? I mean, seriously, are we really content with the fact that, that Jesus does meet our needs? Can we surrender our wants for his will? Well, Paul talked about it back in chapter 3, but I'm just going to hit on chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He went through this whole thing like, hey, man, anybody thinks they're, they're the best? Here's my resume. Here it is. It's kind of like, yeah, try and top this because you can't. And after he goes through that, he says, but whatever were gains to me back then, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He's not saying that to go, oh, poor me. He's saying that he is so worth it. He is so worth it. Anything that I had on this earth, I don't care. It's crap. And that is the nice version of the Greek that is used there. It really is. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to help you understand that even the apostle Paul recognized that is excrement. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You know, I, I don't have time to go over uh, not just Paul's example, but, but what about Jesus' example? That incredible poem. Um, most likely, Paul didn't write that poem. But that was written, and Paul used that. And there's debate back and forth from the different scholars. And that's not a quote from the Old Testament, though, though the ideas have come from Isaiah and, and you saw um, from different places of the Old Testament because there's not one quote in the book of Philippians from the Old Testament. Just a unique thing in that book. But Jesus gave us the example, right? Who being the very nature of God did not consider equality made himself nothing, he humbled himself, he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So what circumstances have been stealing your joy? Let's try to make this. What circumstances have been stealing your joy? Each person's different, but probably we all share. Uh, health? I know a number of people whose health, it's been stealing their joy. It's been difficult. It's been hard. I know other people whose health has been going down and it hasn't been stealing their joy. And in fact, they're like, oh man, I'm so 
I'm so ready for whatever God has. I'm like, yes, that's the example. How about, how about our family? A number of families that are experiencing brokenness, poor decisions. Some people going through the same circumstances and yet, and yet one person can find joy in the midst of what? While the other person is like, well, I can't find any joy. That's because the one person is keeping their focus on Christ and knowing that Christ is walking with them in the midst of it. While the other person is, is kind of maybe going through those times of feeling abandoned by God. We all can relate to that. Maybe it's a job. I know a number of people who are like, whoa. Their job. They need a new job. They're looking for a new job. And again, are they able to be able to say, okay, God has been meeting my needs and God will continue to meet my needs and God will provide ways in which I can support myself or support my family. Whereas others are like, oh, what are we going to do? Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 12 just reminds us, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. By centering our lives around Christ, we can experience true joy. And this is what Paul meant when he wrote in chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much again for this day. I thank you for your presence in which you will never leave us, in which you have promised that you are always with us. Lord, may we find joy in the truth of who you are and in the truth of Jesus Christ and in the truth of your Holy Spirit. Father, no matter what circumstances we may see ourselves in today, may we learn from Paul contentment. May we learn from Paul that joy comes in living for Jesus even when we don't get what we want. And that it comes in serving Jesus in unity with one another. And that true joy comes in knowing Jesus. Lord, for those of us who know you, may we remember where our joy comes from. And for those who don't know you, who are still seeking, wondering what true joy is, Lord, I pray that they will come to a decision that they want to enter into a relationship with you. Father, thank you for this morning. 
for your love. Thank you for your joy for us. And may we live joyfully throughout our day today. In Jesus' name, amen.